One of the few. One of the few is the title of our message this morning. Take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, a couple of weeks ago we looked at these scriptures. And John 3, as we were talking about, uh, where you must be born again. And we were talking uh, to uh, the one that's in this scripture is Nicodemus. Now that's not what we're going to be talking about this morning. But I do want to, I want to bring us up to verse number 14. And kind of describe the situation and what is taking place here in John chapter 3. Most people, when you hear the word, uh, the John 3, what's the next thing word you think of? 3.16. And, and this is just a build-up to John 3.16 and the events that, that, uh, where Jesus spoke that for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So what we're going to do is we're going to, I'm going to narrate... Did I say that right? Narrate. Narrate. Okay. What takes place up to this verse? So so listen to me, and you might want to follow along in your Bibles uh, looking at this verse. But what leads up to this verse? Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, and Nicodemus was a religious leader for the Jews. As a matter of fact, Nicodemus was one of 70. They had a group called the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin are the ones that made all the rules. They were like our judicial system and the court system. Nicodemus was one of these individuals. He was the one that helped decide the religious order and the religious things that took place on a day-to-day basis. So he is one of these. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night understanding that the Jewish people have rejected Jesus. He comes and... And I'm not going to, if you would like for me to show you where Jesus publicly acknowledges that I am the Son of God, He does that, and they rejected that. Jesus came, and when He was teaching, He taught them that He was the coming Messiah. They rejected that. Well, Nicodemus comes to Him. He's one of these that rejects this. And this is basically what Nicodemus says. He says, now Jesus, you need to understand We know that you're from God. For no man can be doing the miracles that you're performing except he be from God. So I want you to know Nicodemus acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God. And I want you to know Jesus cuts him off real quick. He says, listen, in order for you to inherit the kingdom of God, you must be born again. I mean, Jesus was not fixing to have a conversation about who he was... Hey, he just got right down to the point. He says, Nicodemus, if you want to inherit the kingdom of God, you must be born again. This was not something that Nicodemus had ever heard before. It confused Nicodemus. And he says, you mean, you mean I've got to enter back into my, my mother's womb and be born again? I, I mean, you can understand why he's thinking that. He's never heard this term before. He said, no, 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 no. And Jesus goes on to try to explain to him. Flesh is born of flesh, and spirit is born of spirit. He was talking about Nicodemus' spirit being born again. The one, the part of you that's going to inherit eternal life or inherit eternal damnation is your spirit. He says, Nicodemus, your spirit must be born again. I want you to know, Nicodemus is still a little confused. 
He does not understand. So Jesus tries to explain to Nicodemus about how he must be born again of the Spirit, and then Jesus uses the effects of the wind to explain how the Spirit works. Nicodemus still doesn't understand. So then Jesus tells him, he said, I have come to perform miracles in front of you. Watch this. Jesus says, I have come and my disciples and we have performed miracles in front of you. These are things that only happen supernaturally. And you deny that I am from God. You deny, you do not believe what I am telling you. He says, if I tell you of earthly things, in other words, when I multiplied the bread and I multiplied the fish, and you don't understand, if you don't understand the earthly things, how in the world am I to, to expect you to understand spiritual things? So this is the conversation they're having. He says, how are you going to understand these spiritual things? And he kind of he, he degrades Nicodemus a little bit. He says, you're one of the religious leaders, and you don't understand this? So it's kind of a kind of a, 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 a kind of a letdown. So then Jesus says this. Look in verse number fourteen. Well, let's let's start with verse thirteen. And Jesus is talking about himself, and he says, And no man has ascended up to heaven, but he that cometh down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Jesus is basically telling Nicodemus, he said, Listen, I have ascended up. I have come down. I am the one that I'm talking about. The one that has come from heaven. And then he says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so shall the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Well, when he says that, I think it's just natural for us to go, Well, what is he talking about? The serpent in the wilderness. Take your Bibles and go with me to Numbers chapter 21. And let's see what he is talking about here. Numbers chapter 21 in verses 4 through 9 will tell us the event that Jesus is referring to. Numbers 21, way up at the front. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Numbers chapter 21. I think you'll find this pretty interesting. I'm, we're going to just start in verse number 4, but just to let you know what was going on in, in the first three verses, uh, the nation of Israel has had a great victory. They kind of made a deal with God and they said, Hey God, we're going to serve you. If, you'll, if you will let us beat this, this group of Canaanites or if you will let us win this battle, oh, we're, good. we're just going to praise you. And Well, this has just happened. And then in verse number 4, Numbers 21 and verse number 4, it says, And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? For there is no bread, and there is, there is, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth or hateth 
this light bread. Now, what we need to understand, what we need to understand at this point in the Scriptures, God has rescued the children of Israel from Egypt by bringing ten plagues. I want you to know, so they saw the miraculous work of God. Then, when they left Egypt, they come up to the Red Sea, the enemy is behind them, and the nation of Israel witnesses the miraculous work of God by opening up the Red Sea, and they walked all of them, estimated between 2 and 6 million people on dry ground. They witnessed as they crossed to the other side, the armies of Egypt pursuing after them. When the armies of Egypt got in the midst of the Red Sea, God closed up the water and destroyed their enemies right before their very eyes. And in less than three months, they get over there and they deny God. They fuss about God and they said, Well, we used to eat this when we were in Egypt. Why don't we have the cucumbers and the onions and the melons like we used to have? God, you have brought us... Was there not enough graves in Egypt? Is that why you brought us out here into this desert to destroy us? Does it sound a little ungrateful to you? Sounds a little ungrateful to me. And even in this scripture right here, God leads them to the Jordan River to give them the promised land and they refuse to obey God and go over and take the land. And now they're having to wander through the wilderness and they wonder why God's upset with them. They're not being obedient and now they're complaining we don't have any water and we don't have any bread. If you will look in that same verse, they're saying that we don't have any bread It was not that they didn't have any bread. God was providing bread for them every single morning. They didn't like the bread that God was providing them. They didn't like the water that God, God was providing them. They were not in need. God was providing every single one of their needs. They were just saying, we just don't like the situation you have got us in, God. They were they were ungrateful people. And then we find this. In verse 6, And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. I want you to notice something. It does not tell us there that God created fiery serpents. They were called fiery serpents according to the research that I have done. They were called fiery serpents because when, when that serpent bit you, It inflamed. It was like your leg was on fire. You developed a temperature. You developed a fever as a result of that. And not long after you were bitten, you died as a result of these fiery serpents. I want you to watch something here. God didn't create these fiery serpents and bring them down to the nation of Israel that was rebelling against them. These serpents were already in the land. God had been protecting them from them all of this time. They didn't recognize that. They didn't realize how great a God that they were serving. God didn't allow the nature and the the bees and the wasp and the wild animals to attack the people. God's hand of protection was on them. And and He's saying, look guys, if y'all don't want me to protect you, if all you want to do is complain, here, I will just let you have it. And the fiery serpents became... In and they begin to devour them. They used to, they bit them, and the people of Israel died. Therefore, verse 7, 
the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. I think they got their, their, their conscience got the best of them. And they recognized where these fiery serpents had come from. They recognized that they had already been there and God had just kept them from attacking them. And now they have come in and they have started attacking the people. Pray. Notice what they prayed. Specific. God, we want you to take away the serpents. I want you to know God did not answer their prayer. Because God did not take away the serpents. Watch this. Watch. He did not take away the judgment for their sin. Did you just hear what I said? He did not take away the judgment. They sinned because they were ungrateful. God has sent the judgment, the snakes. They're saying, hey, please take away the snakes. He said, no, but this is what I will do. I love you. I will send you a way to be cured from this judgment. Did y'all just hear that? I am going to send you a way to be cured from the judgment that I have brought upon you because of your sin. I am bringing you redemption for this sin that you have acquired. I'm not taking it away, but I'm bringing you redemption for it. I will give you. I will save you from my judgment. This is the condition of your redemption. In verse 8, And the Lord said to Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looks upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass, and he put it upon a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Now, I want you to notice the only reason we come to this reference is because Jesus says over in John chapter 3, verse 14 and 15 that I, like the serpent that Moses had, if I be lifted, I will be lifted up just like that serpent. Now, watch this. We need to understand what was taking place in that day. The very symbol of what they done was put up on a staff or on a pole. And in order for them to be healed from their judgment, all they had to do was look at what was bringing the pain. Their rebellion. The snakes represented their sin. The snake represented their rebellion. The snake represented their ungratefulness. And they had to look at it in order to be healed. Now let me tell you what took place. Same thing that's taking place right here in this room. Some of those men were so prideful. Moses. Moses said, if I'll go over and look at that snake, I can be healed. That's a bunch of malarkey. That is way too simple. I refuse to go and look at that snake. That, that sounds like a fairy tale. It's way too simple for, for, for healing from this snake bite that is on my leg. But you know what? There were many that would say something to this effect. You know, my leg's hurting mighty bad. I know I've only got a few hours to live. Well, I will. I'll try it. And they go, 
And, and when they looked at the serpent, I want you to know the word of God was true to its word and they were healed immediately. And I want you to know they did not understand why that happened. Amen. They didn't understand. They didn't have a clue. How in the world, by me looking up there, is that going to work? I'm going to try mama's home remedy. I remember my mama got bit by a snake when she was a little girl and she packed this kind of leaf together in a cold pack and done this and then done that and I'm going to try that first. I want you to know many people today accept that for salvation. They're so prideful, they will not give in. No, no, no. Believing, looking up to Jesus on a cross and believing that He died on the cross for my sins... No, that's way too simple. I've got to do this, and I've got to do this, and I've got to do this. Your pride won't let you say that Jesus is all I need. Your pride tells you there's got to be something more to it. Your pride will send you to a place God designed for the devils that rebelled, or by the angels that rebelled. He didn't design it for humankind. God's desire is that all mankind come to repentance. It's not His will that any perish. And all He's done, He put the very image that condemns you and I. Jesus Christ, when you read, Jesus Christ became sin for us. He, just like the snake. The snake represented their rebellion. The snake represented their unthankfulness. Jesus Christ when He became sin for you and I, represented your rebellion, represented my rebellion, represented my unbelief, my ungratefulness. All He tells us, He says in, in, uh, uh, in, uh, in John chapter 3, verse 14, it says again, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Watch. That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life or eternal life. Brother Wayne, that's, that's way too simple. I'm sorry. I just do not accept it. You, you, know, you want to know why so many younger people you see coming responding to the invitation? It's because they are still dependent. They recognize that everything they receive normally comes from their parents or a guardian. And then when they get older and they get out of the house and they start providing for themselves, they, they can't hardly relate to this, all you've got to do is believe, no, 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 I've been taking care of my life my whole life. I have to do something for that. Not according to the Scripture. Not according to the Scripture. This is what the Bible says in Proverbs 14 and 12. It says, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Man will sit there and try to figure out their own way to be saved. But let me tell you, it says right there, But the end thereof are the ways of death. People believe that, that they can... To, they can live a life good enough to, to reach into heaven. But I, this, is, this is what my message this morning is. That's why I put up the title of one of the few. God, Jesus is fixing to explain to us that there are two paths in this world and only two. That's what He's fixing to do. He is fixing to explain that there are two paths. You'll either end at the end of one path or you're going to end at the end of the other path. 
And I want you to know the Scripture is very bold as to saying how many will go down this path, how many will go down this path. So we're fixing to look at some of these Scriptures. I know you've heard this song probably many times. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owe a debt I cannot pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. Then that next verse says, He paid a debt at Calvary. Oh, I'm sorry. He paid a debt he did not owe. No, I'm sorry. He paid that debt on Calvary. He cleansed my heart and he made me free. I'm glad that I did all my, he did all my sins erase. And now I can see a brand new song. God is the one. Jesus Christ is the one that paid the debt. Just like the snake... He lifted it up. The sin debt right up there. God said, all you got to do is look and you'll be forgiven or you'll be healed. You'll be taken care of. All you got to do is look. Look with me in Luke chapter 13. This is a very, very important scripture. Luke chapter 13. This is one, I want you to know this one scripture is something that you need to highlight. This is something that probably has not been brought to your attention. Luke chapter 13. In verse 23. This is describing those two paths that Jesus was talking about. Luke chapter 13 and verse 23. Then said one unto him. Jesus has been teaching and now someone comes to him and he says, Then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, Strive to enter into the straight gate, for many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. Now, what he is saying there, again, he mentions the word few. Jesus does not offer a second way into heaven. He does not offer another way of salvation. As a matter of fact, Matthew 7 and verse 13 reiterates this. He says, Enter you at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be that go therein, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. You know what I figured out? The world operates on, most of the time, the majority. Do you know why the Bible says that there will be many that go into destruction? Because most of the people, when they look around and they see that most of the people are living like they're living, they believe, well, we must be right. Because the majority of the people are just like me. Watch. They're, they've got good morals. They've got good values. They take care of their children. They provide for their families. They're not murderers. They're not adulterers. They're not thieves. So we must be pretty good. As long as I kind of stay on that accepted path right there. Now, the ones that have not accepted Jesus that are on this road that are morally good people, they look at the other people and say, I'm better than them. Understand, 
that the I'm better than them crowd are on the same path as the them. Did you hear that? I want you to know there's a lot of people going down that path. That is the many. And then Jesus goes on and describes, but there are few that are found on the straight path. The one that leads to everlasting life. And watch this. Jesus doesn't beat any bones about it. This is what He says in John 10 and 9. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. Who did He say? I am the door. If you, if you go in by me, you can be saved. In John 14 and 6, it says, Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. He says, I am the only way. Now, for you to decide that you can be morally good or morally just or whatever and say that, that I can be accepted and be saved as, that, as a result of that, let me tell you what that's telling you. You're saying that my pride, you're so prideful that you're saying, I don't need Jesus. I don't need His way. I don't need to look for a cross for salvation. I'm good enough myself. And this is what the Bible says. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 30, or 21, it says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, had we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And he says, Then I will profess unto you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquities. Let me put that in East Texas language. Lord, Lord, wait a minute. I went to church. I taught Sunday school. I served on the deacon board. I was on the youth search committee. What do you mean, Lord? What do you mean, depart from me, you, watch this work, people, you workers of iniquities. In other words, you who believe that you can work for your salvation, you think you're going to be saved because you keep coming to church, because you live a moral lifestyle. Depart from me, you that think that you're good enough to do it on your own. I sent my son Jesus to die on the cross for you, and if you can't accept that, I don't accept you. Brother Wayne, I thought we served a loving God. We serve a God that was willing to send His own Son to die for you. And if you can't accept that, He says, I don't accept you. Watch. Go back to Luke. Go back and look in Luke again. Luke chapter 13. And He describes it this way. This is the way He describes it. I'm going to start from the beginning. Luke 13 and verse 23 he says, Then said one of him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, Strive to enter at the straight gate, for many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. When once the master of the house is risen up and hath shut the door, and ye being to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us, and he shall answer and say unto you, I know not whence you are. This, let me tell you what he's referring to. And you've heard the parable before. He is talking about, he said, listen, I came, I sent all the invitations out to you, 
to come to this banquet that I have prepared. I have prepared all of this meal. I've gotten it all ready. And I've invited you to come. Now Jesus is criticizing and rebuking the Jewish people. Because Jesus came to the Jews and said, Look, I'm the Son of God. Come follow me. They were invited to the banquet table. But something happens. And they come up with all these excuses. And we don't believe who you are. And Jesus then fills the room. He goes to the highways and the byways and he compels them that will believe to come. They come and they enter in and as the banquet is full, he closes the door. Now the door is closed. Now what he is telling these right here, he says, now listen, after the door has been closed, now you're coming to the door and you're knocking on the door and saying, hey, let us in, let us in. And what he's saying right here, Jesus says, look, who are you? Who are you? You didn't accept my invitation. Then this is what he says. This is what they say. Verse 26. Then shall ye begin to say, these are the ones that are standing out the door, we have eaten and we have drunk in thy presence and thou hast taught in the streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not whence you are. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. This is what the Jews are saying to him right here. And I want you to know, we need to apply it to 2018 today. The Jews are saying, wait a minute, Jesus. You came to our synagogue and we sit there and listen to you teach. Wait a minute, you came into my house. You sit down and you eat with me and you drink with me. Aren't we buddies? You're God. You're supposed to love me unconditionally. And God says, I did love you unconditionally. I said, my son, all you had to do is look and believe. That's all he says. He says, you're not going to get into heaven by your own ways or your own conditions. I have set the conditions. And my conditions are only through my son. No one comes unto the Father except through my son Jesus Christ. Jesus is the door to salvation. You must come through me. Oh, Brother Wayne, you're not being very uh, uh, liberal with your salvation message. No, all I'm doing is teaching what the Scripture says. Listen, I didn't die for you. I don't make the rules. God made the rules. This is the only accepted way. This is the only accepted way. We need, some, some of us need to just put our pride aside. And realize that I'm a sinner. And without Jesus Christ, I will die and go to a place called hell. There's only two paths. If you'll remember, he said, here's a path that leads to destruction. Here's a path that leads to everlasting life. And there are no other paths in the world. Now, I don't have time to go into the Scriptures. And these people that believe that we're like a dog, that once we're here, we... We live a life and we die and there's no, there's no eternal soul that lives in us. Well, you just need to know the Scripture bears out differently than that. I know many people like to believe that and that's their agnostic belief that, that they say, I, I don't want to have to answer for my deeds. It's just a simple denial of what God is, what you are. It's just an excuse to say, I don't want to believe. Verse 28 of that scripture in Luke, chapter 13 says, 
And there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves are thrown out, are thrust out. And they shall come from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south and shall sit down in the kingdom of God. And behold, there are last which shall be first and there are first which shall be last. That's a scripture we don't have time to dwell in, but I want you to know that Jesus went to the Jews first. They rejected Him. And then Jesus called Paul the apostle to go to the Gentiles. And He is sitting right here saying, The ones that I call last shall be first. Gentile, that's you and me. He says, I have opened up the gospel to you that you might be saved. There's two ways that you can reject salvation. There's two ways you can reject salvation. One of the ways is you sit here and listen to me, and you, Brother Wayne, you're just telling fairy tales. I'll stand up and I'll, I'll accept what I got coming. I'm a man. I'll just accept what I got coming. But you want to know something else? I'll also see something in life that many, what I consider good, moral, Men, men that have great family values, men that, that I enjoy being around. But this is what happens in their life. Because they, because they are such good family men, they get so involved in the worldly things around them trying to be the man that they're supposed to be to their family. It's not that they reject the gospel they neglect the gospel. Did you hear that? Hey, it's not that they have anything against church. Not at all. They like church. As a matter of fact, they like being around godly people. But they are so busy in their lives, they neglect or do not take the time to consider what Jesus Christ has done on the cross for them, and they wind up neglecting Jesus Christ couple of scriptures to end with. The Bible tells us that in Hebrews chapter 11, without faith is it, imposs it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Without being able to put your eyes on the cross and looking to the cross for salvation, you cannot please God without faith. For it's by grace that you're saved through faith. God has given you the opportunity. That's His grace. It's your faith in looking to the cross and believing what Jesus has done. First Peter chapter 1, verse 18. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. I want you to know the Bible teaches us that Jesus Christ, before He even created this earth, already knew that every one of us would be sinners. He already knew that. He already had set Himself aside. I, and, and listen, I, I don't want to be critical, okay? I'm not being critical. 
There's a song, and we even sang it last week at the revival, that says, Jesus looked through all of heaven for a Savior. Let me tell you, Jesus didn't look anywhere for a Savior. He volunteered to be the Savior before He even created the earth. God didn't have to go looking for a Savior. God, he, he, before He created us, knew that we would fail. And that He knew that he would, be the, he would be the sin bearer for every single one of us. He knew that. And He still yet, He loved us enough to create us so that He would have someone that would worship Him and glorify Him for who He was. So we don't need to think for one second that it was by an accident that we failed and that God had to come rescue us. He was our rescuer before we were ever born, before we were ever thought of. He was our rescuer. This is what the Bible says. Hey, just like the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, all of those people had to do was look at the serpent. And the, the punishment for their sin would go away. All right? The punishment for the sin. The, the snake on the pole became the redemption. He didn't, he didn't take the snakes away. I want you to know, God's not taking away the sins in this world here. We are still going to suffer consequences, but He does take away the cost that it's going to cost us. He gives us eternal life. We all deserve eternal death. Jesus is standing at your heart's door. Standing and knocking, He's knocked before. This is the question you face once more, what will you do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? Neutral you cannot be. Someday your heart will be asking, what will you do with me? I don't think this is the first time for all of us to hear the call for Jesus to save our hearts and save our lives. But my prayer is this morning that you'll not let this opportunity pass you by again. Let's stand together. Father, as we look at your scripture, we see it all the time. Where you give us an example over in the New Testament when you're living your life. And you use something you've shown the people in the Old Testament. You've done that again this morning. God, you lifted up the serpent in the, the wilderness for them to be redeemed, for them to be healed of their sin. And then, God, you come some 2,000 years later and you lift yourself up on the cross for that same purpose, to redeem and make a payment for the sin of the people. All you have asked us to do is to come and look and behold what you have done for us, for us to believe. That's all you've asked us to do. God, I'm praying this morning that you will put pride aside in the hearts of those who use that for an excuse that is too simple. God, your desire is simple to save those who are lost. God, use this time this morning to convict our hearts of sin. Father, any decisions that need to be made this morning, I pray that you'll be pleased as we leave this place this morning with every decision that's in Jesus' name I pray. You.